everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Welcome you this morning. Welcome to City of Lights. Everybody glad to be here this morning. If you awesome. If you're not glad to be here, sorry. Here we are. Um, uh, I'm Pastor John Owens. I have the joy of serving as the lead pastor here at City of Lights, and, and we're just glad to have you here. We're excited about what God is doing in our church. We are in uh, the third and final week of the series we've been doing called "We Are the Church," and it's been in very. It's a very important. Uh, lesson and understanding and revelation we have to grasp because there are plenty of people and circumstances and situations that like to frame and define what the church is that can cause so much confusion. And it's important to actually look at God's word to see what he says about himself and what he says about who we are to be. And so the first week, we really began to understand the church within the context of being the body of Christ, that we as the church, are the church is not just some weird construct. It's not just walls. It's not just pews and a cross that hangs from the ceiling. It's comprised of people imperfect people who are pursuing Jesus and who have all kinds of you know, just different perspectives and experiences and, 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 and uh, life circumstances that they've navigated through. But God uses us and he defines us and he refines us and he places us together so that he would be revealed in the earth. And then week two, last week, we talked about really the benefits of connecting in true biblical spiritual family, that it's not, the church is not just something that we check off to know, okay, we did our spiritual duty, we showed up, we sang a couple songs, we threw a couple pennies in the offering, and we heard uh, the harmony from the minister, and now we go home and we do whatever we want to do with the rest of our week, that the true Sense the true embodiment of the church is a family that's growing together and growing strong together and covering each other and strengthening each other, fighting for one another, protecting each other, and celebrating with each other. That there ought to be a celebration among a people who have been filled with resurrection power. I don't know about you, but I think that the church should be a party. Thank you for the three people that want to party with me. We'll get down later on. I'm just saying, thank you, Brittany. I know you're with me. Um, today, I really want to talk about the missional aspect of the church because the church is not just a community and it's not just a family, it's a family with a mission. And the mission did not just come as a result of the fall of man, it actually came from the very beginning where God created man and woman and he created humanity to work with him to cultivate the earth, to make the earth amazing with him. And so we have a specific call not just to exist, but to do something. To do is not a result of the fall. Sometimes we get in these, you know, religious debates about is it grace versus works. And for those of you who aren't in the church, there's sometimes this, this tension where we are saved by grace. It's really by what he has done. But at times we can do what Paul warned against, and we can say, okay, well, it's all about what he's done. It doesn't matter what I do. So I can live any kind of way, and I don't have to do anything. I don't have to show up on time to worship. So stop talking to me about that, Pastor John. 
I don't have to do anything. It's just grace, 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 grace. And what we have to remind ourselves is because of his grace, we have been saved. Absolutely. We didn't do anything to earn it. But because he actually like transformed us and made us to do a work, when he renews us, we're not just supposed to be couch potatoes. I just sit around waiting for the rapture, whatever that is. How many of you have read the Left Behind books? God bless you. There's a mission for us. And so this morning, I want to jump into that. Our main text today is going to come from the book of Romans. If you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you, I'd ask you to go ahead and turn to chapter 10 of the book of Romans. And as we read God's word in this book, I want us to understand the context of this. So the book that we're going to read today, the book of Romans, as with much of the New Testament, was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church. As you can tell by the title of it, it's written to the church in Rome. And from what we can tell from uh, historians and theologians, this was theologians. This book was written. Paul was writing it from Corinth, what many believe to be his third missionary journey. And I, I after Paul wrote this letter from Corinth, he actually called upon one of his most beloved and faithful servants, a lady by the name of Phoebe who lived in a nearby port city. And and Phoebe would take, Deaconess Phoebe would take this letter that Paul had written and she would take it and transport it herself, not send an email, but take it from Corinth to Rome to be given to the church. And I highlight this because it's very important that we understand off the jump that if the life, truth, and power of the gospel is truly to go and be spread and permeate the world, it takes a lot more than the handful of people that are called to vocational ministry to preach. It takes each and every one of us being who God has called us to be in order to accomplish the mission that he has set us out to accomplish. And so I want to turn this attention. We're going to begin in verse 9, and we're going to end in verse 15. Let us read together. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. Illuminate our minds with understanding of not only who you are, but who we are and what it is that you're wanting to do, not just to us, but through us, through our lives, in our city, as a result of this good news. Help me as I communicate your truth today. Lord, help me to speak all that is in line with you, Lord. Anything that I say that is not, may it fall to the ground. We honor you and bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Caleb. Don't you hate it 
when something that you really need in the event of an emergency doesn't work? Right? Is it like your brakes on your car? Like I had that situation this past winter. Uh, or, or, or like a parachute, right? Do we have any survivors of failed parachutes in here? Not, not many of those. Um, now, now maybe not something so drastic, but, you know, something that maybe we use a lot more often, but it's still in our, in case of emergency kit, like, like, like a, a flashlight, right? Like, is it, is, it, is it just me or is, like, needing a flashlight and not being able to find a working one not one of the most annoying things? Like, and, and it never comes in, in the convenient sense. It's always that maybe you have the flashlight, but because you haven't really been using it very often, like you forgot that you needed to change the batteries of it. But of course, in the worst case scenario, like a home intruder has come to the house or your six-year-old is sleepwalking and about to pee in the toy box, like you can't find it. And it's not the most opportune time at that time to try to find batteries to put in, Right. I mean, I'm pretty sure that seven, statistically speaking, seven out of ten white women in horror movies die because of that situation right there, you know. The other three, it was because they walked curiously into an ominous room with blood trail, smoking cloud, a demonic voice, and said, Brad, is that you? Like, but whatever, whatever. But back to the flashlight. Like, what, what kills me a, a lot of times is, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one here, but it's amazing how just not only do you have the flashlight, but in a situation like that where it's dark and you're, you're, you're not sure what's out there, the, the place where you have the batteries that you need for the light in the flashlight is in a place we like to lovingly call the junk drawer. So this emergency, in case of emergency power source for our flashlight, is mixed in somewhere with a bunch of Costco receipts, chip pieces, packets of Orbitz gum, Lego pieces, matches, a ruler, a random screwdriver that was supposed to be with a tool set, but we forgot to go or I was just too lazy to go back to the garage. All of these things, and somehow through the darkness, in light of possible danger, here we are fumbling through looking for four AA batteries, which inevitably we usually find three AA batteries and one AAA battery and have to go to the store to get the one battery. And instead of being able to focus on dealing with the issue that's in the darkness, we are finding ourselves in a battle just to get to the light. And it's amazing to me how we see this play out in the world around us where we have to be awakened to the reality that we live in a land of darkness. It's not mostly good. From the beginning, from the fall of man, when man disobeyed God that we see in Genesis, sin entered the world and jacked it all up. And every human that has been born since then has been born into a sin nature. And we don't have to look far to see the levels of depravity. There is brokenness all around us. Today, even this morning, I was on the phone with one of our beloved family members here at City of Lights who is with her family grieving the fact that her nephew, her 18-year-old nephew, was gunned down because of gang violence in Chicago last week. Today, <laughs> I'm grieved because of a heinous gathering of white nationalists gathering in our nation's capital. But you don't even have to leave Indi Indianapolis to see the darkness. It's all around. And what happens is oftentimes we get so overwhelmed by the darkness that we forget that God actually has a solution for it. 
And so the city and people who are in the darkness, they find themselves fumbling and looking for something, many times grasping for things that aren't going to bring any solutions. But that's not so much the perplexing thing and the sad thing. It's that many times we, the church, are the people that we actually have the light, but we forgot where we put it. Or we haven't used it in so long that it's not powered up when we go to access it. And so when we should be dealing with the issue that's in the darkness, we're just trying to fight to figure out how to get the light on. God has an answer for the darkness. He has an answer for the darkness. I want to take us. He makes a very bold statement. Jesus does. In his word, in John 8, 12, Jesus is standing and he's speaking to a people. And this is a very audacious statement that he was speaking because this was during one of the festivals. And they had these large pyres that were at the top of them were these blazing flames that would light up the city at night. And it was a reminder of the fire by night, the spirit, the manifest presence of God in the Old Testament that would lead people, that was leading people out of the captivity that they were under in, uh, in Egypt into the promised land. And here he is standing in front of these pyres, these flaming lights in, rec- in a time where people are celebrating and honoring God for delivering him out. And he is making this audacious statement. He's saying, I am the light of the world. He's telling them, I, (laughs) it's almost like last week we had a clip from uh, Napoleon Dynamite, Uh, the movie there. Okay, many of you don't know what Napoleon Dynamite is. God bless you. Um, So I'm not going to use that. I'm going to move on. Uh, He's basically saying everything you've been waiting for, it's right here. I was talking to uh, Marisa, who's one of the, he's the director here at This Why, and we were joking. I walked into her office. I said, you're every woman. It's all in you. I'm celebrating her. She goes, that plays in my head all the time. It's <laughs> like, that's awesome. A level of confidence. Jesus was saying, I am the light of the world. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you want to know what is the answer to the darkness around us, it is Jesus who is the light of the world. I know that sounds like so elementary. Some of you who have been in church are like, duh, I heard that. But do we really live like it? Do we? Do we or do we just kind of look at it as he's like our backup plan? Like, hey, if nothing, if nothing else works, hey, at least we don't have to go to hell. Like, he, he, he gives us a secondary option. No, Jesus is the light of the world. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that though we were far from him and could not close the gap because of our sin, that Jesus came, that he did not wait. See, this is where, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm going to set this up. This is the place that we miss it, is that I'm so thankful that Jesus did not wait for me to figure out how to find him I didn't have to fumble around. I mean, I just hate, especially like if I get in, like if you're trying to like fumble in darkness and you're looking for a light switch and then you accidentally hit your toe on like a nightstand or something and you just, you know, you say things and you get mad and you start one. Like he didn't wait for me to fumble, 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 fumble to all of a sudden, oh, I finally found you. No, no, no. When we weren't looking for him, he was pursuing us. He initiated the search. You see, many times we're waiting for an emergency to happen before we start looking for the light. 
Instead of understanding, we need to live in a state of emergency. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's all right. I'm okay. But I do want y'all to respond because I want you to get this. I really don't want you to walk out not re- understanding what this word says. Because the reality is whether we acknowledge it or not, we need this word. We ought to live in a state of emergency. What does that mean? That means that not only does he say that he is the light of the world, but then he goes on and he gets a real, he messes with them a whole lot. And in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So he does have an answer for the darkness. And it begins with the revelation that Jesus is the light of the world. We read at the beginning of Romans where he was declaring that if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It begins with him. But when we are transformed, when we declare that he is not only a rescuer, but he is Lord. Lord means king. It means he's the boss. It means what you say goes. It's not about what, how I define things. It's not what I think about the matter. It's not what the culture thinks about the matter. It's what he says goes. That when he is Lord and he is changing me and gives me a new heart and a new nature and I come alive in him, now as he is light, so am I. Because in Genesis, when we see God, when he was making man, he said, let us make them in our image. And so he formed you and fashioned you to be light. Not just to be a bug that follows the light, but to actually be a conduit of his power in the earth. That God designed you to be lit up with his love and his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy, that you would be a transforming agent in the earth, that wherever you go, the kingdom goes with you, that when you step into your dark campus or into your workplace where you're the only one carrying that light, that people don't have to go to church to see the light, but they can see your light shining. That's, That's what it's about. People want to know, what is City of Lights? That's what City of Lights is. City of Lights is a people who are formed and filled with the Spirit of God and fully alive and shining wherever it is that God places you. It's not going to transform the city just for a bunch of lights to gather in a room and just shine for each other. Oh, I like your light. Oh, that's really cool. I saw that on Pinterest. Oh, nice. No. It's going to be you at the school that you're teaching at. It's going to be you the university classroom. It's going to be you at the business downtown. It's going to be you at home teaching and training up those young people. It's going to be you traveling from city to city through business, not even realizing that you're on a missionary journey, shining with the light of Jesus. Now, here's the problem. Is if it was really easy, this whole place would be lit up. But the reality is, it's a fight. There is a fight for the light. There is a fight for the light of God, not only in the earth, but inside of you. 
Because even when you come into faith in Christ and he makes you a new creature, the enemy does not want you to shine. And he's going to come at your shine every way that he can. Who cares if a light is plugged in if it's never turned on? You know, you can have the most beautiful, the most incredible, all of these. You know, we have these light fixtures here and we have these light fixtures there. If they're not, it's one thing for them to be plugged in. But sometimes I can't imagine how many times I think of all the times, whether it's been a microphone or different things where uh, a speaker will look back at the tech team with like a surly look like, hey, guys, my mic's not on. Would you do something about that? And then they're just like, hey, just turn it on. You're like, oh, oh, okay, whatever. We actually can't. It's not just enough to be a light. You have to shine. And there's a fight for that. What are some of the things that hinder us? Well, one is sin. I know we don't like to talk about this word at times, because of the things that are attached to it. I, I want to help you understand this. For those of you who may be familiar with church, maybe this is a new first thing for you, is the reason that sin bothers us is because, one, it's actually a horrible thing because sin separates us from God. But why we really don't like hearing it is because more times than not, we try to solve the problem of sin by our own means. The Bible says that worldly sorrow produces death. What does that mean? Worldly sorrow is when we recognize that something is wrong. Like the rest, sin, the wages of sin is death. The Bible says that sin is basically missing the mark. And what happens is when we recognize that we are missing the mark or we have a sense that something isn't right, it's a human instinct to try to fix it. And if we can't fix it in and of ourselves, we get frustrated, we, get, we feel condemnation, and the only way to process that is to either go into a deep state of depression and hopelessness or to just pretend it doesn't exist. The good news is if we actually can see it for what it is and we see Christ for who he is, we understand we don't have to be afraid of sin because he's got an answer for it. Okay? But we have to understand that sin affects the light. Many times, we have, like I said, we have been formed in the likeness of Christ. But for those who are not in Christ, you have the form, you have the design, but you have no power. A light with no power is just fancy glass. You were made and designed not just to exist, but to be connected to the power source. But for those that have been, Many times it's that sin because we're still being perfected by him. We're going to make mistakes. What the enemy uses is he uses sin to cause us to walk in shame. And so many people don't shine because they feel ashamed. And so when the Lord is calling you to shine and when there's an opportunity to shine, the first thing that the enemy comes with is he says, who are you? Who are you to say anything? I know what you looked at earlier this week. I know what you did last weekend. I know what you thought earlier today. Shut your mouth. Don't say anything. They don't want to hear from you. And that shame keeps us hidden. It's like in the scripture in Matthew where he says, no one takes a light and hides it under a basket. No one unless they're ashamed of it. Maybe we're still working through some things and we're still, you know, sometimes like in a moment through Jesus we are set free 
But like I said last week, like freedom comes with a learning curve. Sometimes it takes time to figure out how to walk in freedom. And while we are walking out of captivity, the enemy tries to shame us and make us think we're still in chains. Like God has done an incredible work in your life. I know there's some of you who recently God has done great breakthrough and you're still messing up sometimes because you're just trying to figure out how to live. You're trying to figure out how to walk. It's like my little girl, like when she's first learning how to walk and she's going to fall and she's going to bump, bump her head and she's going to skin her knees. Last night we're trying to teach, one of the things I'm trying to work with Judah is teaching him how to ride a bike without the training wheels. And, and, and I told him, I told him like I've told his older brothers when we taught, I said, listen, falling is part of learning. You only lose if you don't get back up. And that's the reality. Falling is part of the learning process. A righteous man falls seven times. You're going to fall time and time again. But as long as we're falling forward and we come return to the Lord with repentance, he's going to restore us. But we need to let that shame go. There is no shame in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so even in the midst of learning and growing and being perfected with him, we still have to shine. We still get to walk as light. There's another thing that the enemy uses to try to keep us from shining, and that's insecurity. The spirit of insecurity says, well, my light isn't enough. So my wife and I, we have very different sleeping patterns. I can kind of sleep through anything. Like once I'm out, I'm out. It's done. It's a wrap. Like every once in a while, I think God's given me a supernatural grace to like wake up like right when a kid's about to walk in the door and say, hey, daddy, I peed. Which I wish he would get rid of that part because I just like to sleep through that. Sometimes I try to pretend like I'm asleep so they'll go to Kelly, but whatever. Hey, I'm just being honest, transparent, authentic. Um, But I can pretty much sleep anywhere. Like even like I trained myself that when I'm in a car, if I'm not driving, like as soon as that engine rumbles, I'm like, "Mm, done. If I'm on a plane and as soon as those engines start getting up, "Mm, done. So I can sleep about anywhere. Kelly... She needs absolute, complete, and utter darkness. Like, when I tell you, like, darkness, darkness. Like, the little light on our DVR in our bedroom. The little red light and then the blue clock numbers. She covers them up with decorative pieces because she doesn't want to see it. If I go to the restroom and then I come back from the restroom and I have my screen light on the lowest setting and she's facing opposite of me and I turn it on to check what time it is in her sleep. She'll go, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? (laughs) But it's amazing how just a little light can make a big difference in utter darkness. And the enemy would love for you to think that the light that you have is so insignificant and small, why even shine at all? But I want you to know today by the Spirit of God, even a little light can make a big difference in the darkness. And as insignificant as you might think, you say, I've only, I've barely even been saved that long. I've never been to theological seminary. I, I don't know any verses by heart except for John 3, 16. Girl, that's all you need to shine a light. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Is that all you got? You got a nice light to work with, all right? That's a good starter kit right there. But he'll try to snuff you out and say, well, I don't, I'm not really out and about. I'm not really in the world. Maybe, maybe you know, you're a stay-at-home dad or a mom and you're homeschooling. 
oh my gosh, what an amazing opportunity to be light to those young champions that you're raising up. Or when you go to the homeschool co-op or the field days at McCormick's Creek or wherever you go. Because, man, I'll just tell you right now, homeschoolers have the best field days. They have the best, you know, outings and things like that. I'm like, man, I, I should have got some more of that out. Bottom line is, wherever you God has placed you, you, you might be on the fifth floor or the 25th floor of whatever office building, You'd be amazed at how hungry people are looking in the light, in the darkness, looking for a light, looking for hope, looking for someone to give an answer beyond the same old repeated things that they've heard over and over again that have produced nothing. We have to shake off that insecurity and shine. And the other thing that is such a chief thing is apathy. And apathy says... Somebody else will shine. Somebody else will do it. They don't need me. The pastor will do it. This person will do it. I mean, I'm not really that guy. I'm not really called. We, the church, made up of many individuals, all of us are called to be light. And no one can shine for you. No one can shine for you. And the beauty of it is, is that that's because God has uniquely designed you with all of your different experiences and rough edges, with your past, with all of your hurts, with all of your aches, with all of your times of disenfranchisement, with all of your pain and your joy and your strengths and your likes and your privilege to shine for him. And so it doesn't matter if nine out of ten people shine. God wants you to shine. He, he made you so that you would reveal him in a special way. Yesterday, we had an opportunity to go door to door around the neighborhood, just invite people, introduce ourselves to people, let them know that we're here in the Y. So many people, it's like church in the Y just seems so foreign. They're like, wait, there's a church that meets in the Y? There's actually somebody who thought we met in this like little bank building next to the Y over here, which looks like Fort Knox, like a condensed version of it. I was like, no, we don't meet in there. We actually meet in the Y. But it was amazing how just going and, and we could think, oh, somebody will reach them. There's lots of churches around here. How so many people are just waiting for somebody who would step out with faith and even in the midst of fear and just trust God and just shine however you can. I, I was not feeling particularly shiny yesterday. We had three soccer games. It was hot. I was, you know, looking like I'd been at three soccer games and probably had, I don't know if it was the glory of the Lord or just this fragrance and aroma that I was carrying for three soccer games. But we just stepped out there, and it's amazing seeing person after person saying, gosh, I know God sent you. One lady that I spoke with, her brother had passed away yesterday morning. And as soon as we walked up the door and she came out and she heard who we were and where we were from, she just began to weep. There's another lady that we came and we talked to, 
And she said, I know God's trying to get a hold of me because somebody else reached out to my son this week, and this is the second time this week God has just sent somebody to say something to me. God wants to use you. God wants to use you in a powerful way. And when we begin, if we walk and we allow that spirit of apathy to convince us that somebody else is going to go, somebody else is going to do it, what we do is we get back into that old mindset of just being reactionary based on an occasional emergency rather than walking proactively and being light. Again, it's a state of emergency. Our light is not to, to just be like this random thing that if somebody happens to ask us a question occasionally, you know, what happens is often because we're not expecting to be like, we're not expecting to share the gospel, we're not expecting to share our faith, that when somebody inquires of us, we freak out about it. And we start trying to like remember what Miss Gertrude said in third grade Sunday school. We're like, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh. And, and we say something that maybe sounds spiritual, but the gospel's not there. Or even if what we say is true because maybe we're uncertain, we actually come across like we're not even sure if it's real. And so the people that are looking for a light, they're like, I don't even know if you believe what you think you believe, but... I mean, this person seemed really convicted about this. And so it really begins on, begins this, becomes this thing of who sounds more convincing. We want to own it. And I'm not talk, saying that everybody in here needs to go to four years of seminary. One of the things that we talk about, and we'll do some more trainings, and when we do evangelistic outreach training, is just teaching you how to tell your story. We call it the two-minute miracle, giving your testimony in two minutes where you were, what God did, who you are today, just being able to share your faith in a way that you can be confident about it. And then if you have a, a greater opportunity to share, you can expand on it. But we all need to be ready to give an account, to give reason for the hope that's on the inside of us. Not just the preacher, but you. So how do we do this? How can we walk in this? How can we overcome this battle? Well, I alluded to it a little bit earlier. The first and foremost, and, and this is going to sound like a repeat if you've come the last two weeks, the first response is always the same. It begins by surrendering to Jesus. The first step is surrendering to him. He says in the beginning of the passage that we read today in, chapter, in verse 9 of Romans 10, he says, for, with the heart, for anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. In order for us to come alive in the spirit of God, to be freed ourselves from sin and depravity and darkness, in order for us to walk in resurrection life, it requires that we repent. What does repentance mean? It's a, it's, it's a spiritual word that means literally we turn. We recognize by the spirit, by the mercy of God, that the path and the direction we've been walking in is not right. That there is a better way, that he is the answer, that the direction of our sin will lead us to death. And he gives us the grace to turn and not only to face him but to follow him. That he is the Lord. 
that it's not just a Christian patch that we get so we feel better about that. We did our spiritual, our faith assessment. Now we're faith people. But we become followers of Jesus that we declare and we believe he is who he says he is. And as we surrender our lives to him fully, as we surrender our hearts and our minds to him, his spirit fills us up and we become who we were called to be in the very beginning, to be in relationship with him, to be in fellowship with his family, and to be the light that he's called us to be. Now, for those who have already given their lives to the Lord, it still requires surrender. Because what happens is, like I mentioned at the beginning, is we get filled with his power and his light. But then just life goes on. And we start functioning in old patterns. Maybe we're not spending time in his presence. We're not being filled and recharged by his word. We start falling into our old slave patterns and mindsets rather than walking in his freedom. Maybe it's that we need to surrender our fear and begin to step out and trust him. I believe that there's actually some of you today that you know, even as I've been talking today, there's been like two or three people that have particularly come to mind that you work with or you're in school with or you're around with on a weekly basis that God's been nudging your heart to reach out to them. And fear every time has been keeping you from opening your mouth. Maybe you've even struck up a conversation and you might have like a base level relationship, but you're not willing or you're too afraid to actually mention Jesus because of what that might do. God wants you to surrender that to him. He is the answer, not you. See, we can be deceived in thinking it's all about being light. It's just about making friends. Being friends with you does not give anyone eternal life. Can we admit that? Like sometimes we think we can get an easy out in the church by thinking if I'm just nice to people, if niceness saved the eternal soul, but it doesn't. It's Jesus. It's his blood. It's his death, burial, and resurrection. And so God wants you to surrender that fear. Begin to walk in faith. Walk in courage. Surrender that apathy. Stop thinking it's somebody else's responsibility and own it. Say, God, I just trust you. I don't even know if this is going to work out. And you want to know something? Reaching out and being light, it's sometimes it's like playing baseball. You're not going to hit every ball that comes your way, but you just got to keep swinging. Because your job might not be to knock it out of the park. Your job is just to sow some seeds, to prepare people's hearts. It might be the fifth, the sixth, or the 26th time that breaks them down to where they're able to receive Jesus. But will you be the first one? Will you be willing to be the third one even if you don't get to see the harvest just yet? God is calling us to surrender. The second part is not just to surrender but to observe. See, there's opportunities all around us if we're looking for them. Many times we're not. Sometimes we're like the people, I don't know if you're like me, I don't like really getting into too many conversations when I'm on an airplane. That's why I've trained myself to fall asleep when the engines go on. Because if I'm asleep and they want to talk, it's not rude because I'm already asleep. I'm like, you know, it's rude for you to wake me up, actually. 
you know. And so there's certain tactics that you can do if you don't want to be talked to or you're trying to avoid it. Like one thing I found works wonders is if I get on a plane and I open up my Bible, like people just totally avoid me. <laughs> Especially if I'm on a Southwest flight, they just kept going. They just keep on going. Um, but... You know, a lot of times, we're, it's like the opposite of actually observing. We're trying, we are hoping nobody, I hope nobody asks me about this. I hope nobody asks me if I'm a Christian. I hope nobody asks me. You know, one of the things, I'll be honest, if I'm being completely honest, I've actually thought of different things to tell people if they ask me what I do at times, because as soon as they hear that I'm a pastor, they all of a sudden put on this facade of what they think a pastor thinks they should look like. So it's amazing. Like the first thing Kelly and I always talk about is we were at a baseball game. We went to see the Cubs play uh, the Padres the other day. And these dudes were like cussing up a storm. Like they were so creative with their cuss words. It was amazing. And as soon as one of them heard that we were pastor, like, oh, oh, sorry. Sorry for the cussing. And I'm like, bro, you're going to do it as soon as you leave. Like, but but my, my, my point is, is we have opportunities to shine all around us, but we're actually not looking for them. Observe. Ask the Lord, God, who look for it? We are on a search and rescue mission, y'all. So look and say, God, who can I shine for today? Who can I reveal your love to today? Who can I be used by you to demonstrate forgiveness today? Who can I tell about what you've done in my life today? It's not about beating them over and walking around with your turn or burn sign in the campus and yelling at people and telling every girl that they're a whore and every guy that they're a whoremonger and you're going to hell. Just tell people what Jesus did for you. It would help if you actually just knew what he did for you and could articulate it. Like even if we don't have an evangelism training, everybody in here can go home and write out This is who I was before Jesus. This is what he's done for me. This is who I am today. And edit that sucker to about 500 words or two minutes. You can do that. Just be ready to share. Just even that, that opportunity could go a long way. So we want to surrender to God. We want to observe. And then the last part is you got to shine. We just got to do it. We've got to go forth and shine for the glory of God. And it's nobody else's job but yours. The beautiful thing is, God's put us in a family. He's put us in a family where we don't have to do it alone. But I just want to let y'all know, the most wasted resource of lights is like the lighting department at Lowe's or Home Depot. Because even the biggest lights, you can't hardly tell when it's in a room full of light. But even a little light can make a big impact in the darkness. And so as we go forth into this city, as we leave this building and go into the byways and highways of our community, it's there that when we shine, what a beautiful thing will happen in the city. I mean, I just, I'm so crazy. I actually believe that if we will embrace this word and this, this call as the church, that we can see the spirit and the grip of racism in the city of Indianapolis lose its hold. I believe it. Like, I actually believe it. I believe that we can gather together with people of different ethnicities and backgrounds, not just in February or, like, not just after a shooting when we're having a prayer vigil, but, like, we can, oh, and I'm going to say this, that we can gather not just on Sunday, 
do you understand that if the only time, like as much as I love to see diversity on a Sunday morning, and I believe that's who we're called to be, if that's the only time it takes place, we failed. We failed. Because it's, again, it's not just about gathering. It's about being a family. And you walk with family. And you live with family. And you celebrate with family. And you cry with family. And you build with family. And you go with family. And you shine as the family of God. That is who we are as the church. That's who we're called to be in City of Lights. I pray that we, the church, would shine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. Lord, we cannot make it just based upon well wishes. Good intentions will not bring forth transformation. We need your power. We need your spirit. We were in desperate need of a Savior. There was only one sacrifice that was perfect enough, pure enough, all sufficient enough to satisfy the debt of our sin. And that was your precious blood, Jesus. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would help first and foremost, Lord, those that are in this room who have been formed in your likeness but filled with just the darkness of sin just because of being born into this broken world, Lord, I ask that you would draw them to you right now. This morning, if you're here and you know that you've been around church before, maybe you've been around church people, maybe this is your first time, and you've had ideas about faith, you've heard about Jesus maybe, but you have not made him your Lord and Savior. At the end of the day, you are the boss. You control your life, but you have come to the point where you recognize that you are not the Savior and that you are desperate of need of his light. I want to give you an opportunity to meet him today. If you say, I need this Jesus, I'm tired of walking in darkness, I want to be filled with his light, I want to be made new, I want to be made alive, if that's you, Raise your hand right where you are. Say, I want to receive Jesus as Lord. I want to confess him as the Lord of my life. Raise your hand. I want you to know that he wants to meet you. He wants to meet you right where you are. In the place of maybe uncertainty, of doubt, questions. I don't want you to leave here today without having someone pray with you. We're going to have a couple people back by our city central table after the service that are available to pray for those who would need it. And even if there are not enough people to pray, I want you to know that there are people around here that will pray for you. And so if you are in need of prayer today, we want to pray with you. Lord, I'm asking for your help. Lord, that so many in here who have been changed by you, who have been filled by your light. Lord, we know that there is a fight. Lord, that we are not just in a zero pressure, zero resistance world, but there is much opposition that would love to keep us dim and to keep us hidden under a basket. 
But Lord, you call us to let our light so shine so that people would see not our works, but your good works. And they'd be drawn to you. Lord, I'm asking for courage this morning. Lord, I'm asking that you would fill us with your courage. Lord, I'm asking that you would compel us with your zeal and your passion for the lost, God. Lord, I pray that seeking and pursuing those who are in darkness would not just be something that we do as an extracurricular or just an elective after all the other things that we prioritize in our lives. But Lord, I pray that at the forefront of our lives and everything that we say and do, you would teach us how to shine. Lord, I pray that you would deconstruct, Lord, the false images of what it might mean to shine. Lord, all those things that try to tell us that we aren't good enough, we don't know enough, we can't say enough, we haven't been around enough, and so it keeps us hidden, it keeps us from saying a word. Lord, I pray that you'd break it down and you'd just help us to walk in the courage and use the light that we have. No matter how little or how big we think it is, Lord, that we would give you what we have. Help us, God. And, Lord, we cry out, Lord, today, not only for our city but for our nation. And, Lord, I, God, I ask that not only in City of Lights but in your church, universal in your church across the nation of the United States, Lord, that your people would shine. Lord, it would shine brighter than any uh, racism, than any bigotry, Lord, than any evil, than any hatred that would try to, to crowd us out. Lord, let us go forth and be light filled with your light in our city, in our state, in our nation, and around the world. Lord, we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and